1: If you actually go to the market in Davao or General Santos City or Davao Oriental, you'll see um, Cavendish banana on the floor of the wet market for people to get a feed for pigs. So whenever I see um, Cavendish banana sa Europe or sa North America, I always say, we don't even eat that.
0: Today, what we're talking about is bananas. No, really, bananas as in the fruit. Believe it or not, bananas can tell us a lot about how the world we live in works. I'm Nina Toralba, podcasting from the Philippines, and you're listening to Spanner in the System. This is a podcast by the ETC Group, which works to promote conservation and the sustainable advancement of cultural and ecological diversity and human rights. In this podcast, we talk to members of the Etcetera Group to learn about issues surrounding new technologies, their impact on the world's poorest and most vulnerable people, and what we can do about them. Hang tight because we'll cover a lot of things today. This includes the global food system, how we care for and sometimes don't care for our land, and what needs to be done to make a better world. This all might sound complicated, but we can start with bananas. Can you name the varieties of bananas that you've eaten? Think of your snack at work or school. Or a banana split when you want to treat yourself. Or what you put in banana bread. You can probably name only a bunch, but there are actually more than a thousand different varieties of banana. To take us through all of this, here's Neth Daniel.
1: I am Neth Daniel. I'm the Asia Director of the Action Group on Erosion, Technology and Concentration, or etc. group. I'm based here in Davao City where ETC Group or etc. group maintains a small office.
0: Most listeners are probably most familiar with the Cavendish banana. But where should we start when we think about banana varieties?
1: The bananas that we know are actually the more dominant cultivated uh, varieties. You mentioned Cavendish. Cavendish is even commercial uh, variety grown in plantations because they are more sturdy than most other uh, banana uh, varieties, which are highly perishable. Cavendish can actually be transported. Like You can cut it green, and then if you reach the destination, just enough to be sold. And um, Cavendish is a type of banana that nobody eats in Mindanao.
0: Mindanao, one of the island groups in southern Philippines, where you're from. Why is that? Why do people in Mindanao ignore the Cavendish banana?
1: If you actually go to the markets in Davao or or General Santos City or Davao Oriental, you'll see um, Cavendish banana on the floor of the wet market, no? for people to get a feed for pigs, no? So whenever I see um, Cavendish banana sa Europe or sa, sa North America, I always say, ah, oh, we don't even eat that. What we eat are actually the backyard banana, no? the Lakatan, Latundan, of course Sabah, many others. We have Morado and... Dame, senorita, you know, like the small and very um, sweet smelling uh, banana. So, lots of those are actually uh, mostly grown in backyard settings.
0: So, if, like you say, there are so many varieties of bananas and these taste so much better than the Cavendish, why is this what most of the world eats?
1: The main reason why Cavendish is grown in thousands and thousands of hectares here in the Davao region and also in other parts of the world because um it's la- much less perishable than the rest it could last transport so it's preferred for trading for export of course decisions on what to what type what particular variety to grow is key no to make that uh profitable if you look back dun sa history ng cultivation ng Cavendish banana it only actually got propagated widely in the late 60s before that there was something else another um Variety that was actually wiped out. Panama disease is the main disease that wiped out the predecessor of Cavendish. And um, after lots of breeding of and research, they settled that, um, yeah, Cavendish is the most sturdy. It used to.
0: And so while there might that. be so many different banana varieties, the Cavendish is the banana of choice because of how sturdy it is. It's the banana you find in convenience stores pretty and bright yellow, presentable. This might not sound bad right away, but what this creates is a monoculture. Neth, can you help us define this?
1: Okay, if you have thousands or even millions of hectares planted to banana or um, coconut, that is a monocrop, single crop. And monoculture is even more narrow, like if there's a single variety, like in this particular case in banana, um, Cavendish, the Cavendish type of banana uh, planted in thousands and thousands of hectares as far as your eyes can see that's a monoculture. And it's a um, very basic wisdom no? in, in agronomy that if you plant the same type of variety, it will ultimately break down in terms of uh, resistance to pests. It becomes vulnerable to particular pests or fungus and other agroecological um, stresses. Unlike if you plant different crops or different varieties, you have actually far more, not just um, diverse sources of nutrition and sources of harvest, but also um, sources of insurance uh, against pests and diseases and agroecological stress.
0: This goes not just for the availability of tasty bananas, but to the level of farming as a whole.
1: A key um, consideration there as well is what type or farming practices are involved. If you are dealing with thousands and thousands of hectares of banana, you need technology that would allow you to be efficient in planting and also dealing and managing with thousands and thousands of Cavendish in your land. And this is a contrast because we started with a variety. But if you will go into what goes on behind uh, raising Cavendish and Racing uh, Lakatan or, or Latundan, you will see two different worlds that you would even wonder, are they planting the same crop? <laughs> so,
0: and Neth explains that having to produce so many bananas on so much land means a lot of labor. Just imagine how many people need to work to cover all of this land. And the hard truth behind it? It's a common practice for prison labor to be used and exploited in this kind of food production. Prisoners are paid pennies on the dollar, if even that much, so that the bananas can be grown. These are the human costs paid to keep the world fed with the pretty Cavendish. Add to that the environmental impact of using pesticides and other chemicals to sustain the growth— it really should make us pause and ask what actually goes into the Cavendish banana and all other crops grown in a similar way. Most of us didn't ask for these practices to happen. I know I never thought of prison labor being used to grow the bananas I ate. And that makes the not very tasty Cavendish even less appealing. So we asked Neth, what are the alternatives?
1: You still have banana growers, uh, mostly backyard, mostly um, small scale are growing the banana that we love, you know, the latundan, lakatan, sabah. and that does not require prison labor. All you need is family labor. To be able to do that, you have different uh, farming practices involving different varieties, diverse dun sa isa, small scale, usually backyard, and providing extra income for families dun sa isa, uh, monoculture with even uniform um, growing conditions and, and practices and would require efficient labor that would mean more for left, whether that's through slave labor provided by the penal Colony or the Pecols. Or subcontracting, uh, you need that you not know, to be able to cater to the export market. So I think
0: that, to recap what Neth said, there are two clear ways of growing. One that builds on monoculture farming, uniform growing conditions, and employs potentially exploitative labor practices. And another way that advances diverse growing practices done by farmers. Given these options, it's clear what produces better bananas, what's better for the environment, and what's better for workers? So, why are we still sticking with the monoculture way?
1: The worldview that brings us this kind of cultivation and the technologies that enable them. It's largely because the researchers, the scientists who are um, advising, providing the science um, on business decisions, are actually um, convinced that they can actually manage a pest, for example, you know, they can manage diseases. And you have agrochemicals no, that will allow you to kill X pest or Y fungus. Man, subjugating the earth is what is behind that worldview. Like if that creates a problem in terms of pest, you have uh, agrochemical, you have a certain technology that can deal, deal with it. But I think subjugating the earth um, as a worldview is, way, is behind that. It's also a business decision. Like if you are um, relying on a tried and tested uh, formula for business, which means um, low cost in terms of labor because you're using prisoner labor and you have your own research um, team no, that produces all these seedlings no, coming from fisher culture. And then you have all these facilities, transport, and all these connections. Globally, it's, it's, a, it's a tried and tested formula that you continue to exact profit for the past five years. So why would you change?
0: Well, what's interesting is that given how much the Cavendish has become a monoculture and how much risk is involved, you would think it would make the people producing the Cavendish pause and think about being sustainable.
1: They will identify another superstar. But of course, before we go into superstar variety, there are also... Of course, lots of talk about new technologies um, that will address Sigatoka and Panama disease. And like once that technology is there, it will probably solve it. Who knows? um, In the short term, uh, medium term, and that will result to further expansion. It's not just about the breeding technologies, but imagine like planting banana in the slopes of Montaloma would require certain machineries and also high tech, no? That would allow Spraying, for example, Davao is the first and only local government in Mindanao that actually banned aerial spraying. This was like 15 years ago and it's still there. So it's the surrounding area where aerial spraying is happening. And more and more, the aerial spraying planes, no, these are quite expensive. They're low flying. They have been involved in a number of incidents. and. A lot of complaints about the the pesticide drift.
0: This Uh, is just one of the technological advances that are used to keep growing things in the monoculture way. Drones, big data, new kinds of sensors. It's a plethora of technologies being used to hit these assembly line-like demands. Except that we shouldn't think of nature and growing crops like an assembly line. Growing food from the earth isn't the same thing as assembling a car or a phone. That means we need to think and view it differently from what's been happening. You have to look at the
1: production as part of an entire business ecosystem. A big part, of course, is the consumption end. Like if you condition the mind of the, the consumer that X variety is what's good for you, because this will actually make it through um, shipping, transport, and it's cool, it's it's smooth, it looks good then that's what your consumers will buy. So you have advertising, uh, conditioning of the mind, including um, education. But if you change that and build it on diversity, like you, you you educate young students, young people, you educate the consumers through the media that the more diverse food that we eat will allow us to become more healthy and it also allow us to support local farmers and more diverse way of farming that is less um, dependent on agrochemicals, then it could change the entire ecosystem. It's really changing that entire worldview that governs that whole business ecosystem.
0: So, how do we start to think about this and help people view it in a new way?
1: It starts with educating your consumers and educating them while they're young. I remember probably 20 years ago, I got invited to talk to um, grade 5 students at Xavier School.
0: That's a private school in the Philippine capital, Manila.
1: I was quite impressed no, that Xavier at that time was actually uh, requiring all grade schoolers to go into gardening. Because they said that it alarmed them that many kids don't even know how carrots, for example, are grown. Like they see carrots cut up because, like, somebody served it for them, but they don't see the, the entire, entire food. So, like, to me, like, of course, that's foundation, but also you have to add a bit more on that, you know, in diversity issue that for real farmers, you know, that uh, no carrot should be the same. You know that's that's the part of the agriculture that, that the diversity in one in one variety is 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 a given in the same way people even siblings are different, no. So that's how the world should be for us to thrive as um, as species, and it has to be systematic, no. Because um, the media also have to to reinforce that that message that being different is not wrong diversity is beauty it's really encouraging in the during the time of the pandemic there are many um, models that you described that actually mushroomed across the country where you have uh, middle-class communities urban communities that are um, linking with producers to buy um, to buy directly but it's not just it just shouldn't stop there it's also really about opening up horizons in terms of um, letting the consumers um, be aware of what does it entail no, to produce and the lives of people who produce and also what does a Cavendish mean no? um, in terms of implications to those who produce other varieties of banana because like the more we patronize Cavendish, the less market there is for those who produce the more diverse traditional types of banana no? and also the farming practices that go with it.
0: Neth, I'd like you to tell us about one thing we haven't covered yet, the markets where we can go to buy produce.
1: Yeah, before pandemic, I used to travel like crazy. But for me, if I stay in a place, I always make it a point to go to the local market because it's really an eye-opener in terms of how the culture, the traditional culture goes and what do people eat. It actually allows you to have a a glimpse of what do people eat. The food we eat is actually um, the summary of of our culture. So if we let go of the traditional food, we let go of the culture that goes with it. It's not just about us as consumers, but also the producers. Uh, The whole production process of crops, no farming practices have associated cultures in them. Songs, poetry, dances, the way people relate, community sense, also traditional and indigenous knowledge systems in farming, in water management, soil management, all of us, all of that are at stake when we all go monoculture instead of promoting diversity.
0: We've gone from talking about bananas to modes of production, prison labor, backyard planting, and all the way to markets and culture. Neth left us with some thoughts to consider as we look at the banana and our food in general.
1: What is key here is actually recognizing that there are food systems that exist. Here in Davao, you don't actually go to the supermarket to buy your banana. You actually uh, buy it from the banqueta, the manang who sells the uh, latundan or lakatan that you want.
0: You buy it from the sidewalks and the outdoor markets, from the old lady who sells local varieties,
1: those food systems need to be recognized and supported. The problem is, like, if you look at programs of government, it's all geared towards the industrial food system. You actually provide more fertilizer or even subsidies for agrochemicals, for farmers to use it. When in fact, like, the traditional food systems that feed most of us, like in et cetera Group study um, in 2017, we actually established that 70% of the world's population is actually dependent on traditional food systems, which is the food system that is fed by small-scale farmers, by artisanal fishers, even urban gardeners, but it's rarely um, recognized. If we want the planet to be sustained, um, it's high time to support the traditional food system that is dependent on nature, no? the, the relationship of people with biodiversity and also the ecosystem and-
0: Again, we're looking at two systems. One that's monoculture and industrial, which produces more bananas than you can probably imagine, but can do real damage to the environment. And a system that prioritizes small-scale farmers, fishers, and even urban gardeners who actually feed most of the world's population in a sustainable way.
1: What you eat is actually connected to your culture. That culture is not just about the culture of eating, but also culture of cultivating the food that we eat. Now that we are facing uh, multiple crises, no crisis of climate, environment, and crisis of diversity, like the crisis of biodiversity is much less talked about, but this will impact all of us without exemption at all. I think we have to really focus yung connection, the connection of consumers with producers and understanding what what's behind the food that we eat no? and what's at stake behind the food on our table.
0: Thank you, Neth, for taking us from one banana to the entire scope of food production. As we all learned, a banana might seem like the smallest thing, a snack most of us have or use as an ingredient in local delicacies, but it connects us to a larger world and so many things that are often invisible to us but have so much meaning and impact on how we live. It's a lot for us to think about. And there will be even more to think about in the next episodes. Next time, we are talking to Etcetera's Latin America director about climate change. We'll be asking, can we actually engineer a solution to the climate crisis? You've been listening to Spanner in the System. I've been your host, Nina Toralba, with our editor, Carl Dave Sayat, and our producer, Carl Javier.